from God, the Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me. And in that personal encounter with God that Moses was having, having, he began to question the Lord, question as him as to the point of whether anyone would actually listen to him or not. And the Lord said to him, go, I'll be with you. And here's the sign that I'm with you. When you've led the people out of Egypt, you will return to this mountain and here you will serve me. You, you will worship me. And so from that personal encounter with the Lord, Moses returned to Egypt. You know, there's the account of the 10 plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel uh, journeyed through the wilderness led by the presence of God. About one year has passed since Moses was originally commissioned and sent back to Egypt. He has now returned to Mount Sinai led by God with the people of God. And they are there, I would say, for that purpose to worship God. Now we, now we read here in Exodus chapter 19, it says, on the, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of, land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Now, we read the time frame here and in the Bible when we're given time periods and how long things take, uh, it's important. And he says here that it's the third new moon since they have left uh, or from the time of the Passover. That means this, about seven weeks has passed, about 49 days. Uh, 50 days uh, from Passover is something significant, right? It's called Pentecost. And we should, you know, that should just ring a bell for us because we know that Jesus was crucified when? At Passover. And that he had commanded his disciples to remain in Jerusalem and that they would be clothed with power from on high, that the Holy Spirit would be given to them. And we know from the New Testament that that happened 50 days after Passover. The, the disciples were there. They were waiting in the presence of God. They were seeking the Lord. And the Holy Spirit was... Uh, sent from heaven, descended at Pentecost. You know, there was a mighty, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Fire came into the room, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2. It separated and little tongues of fire or little flames of fire went above the head of each of the 120 disciples that were there in that room. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They began with power to declare the wonders of God and the glories of God in languages uh, that they did not know. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that as the crowds observe these things and watch these things, we know that they begin to criticize and say, well, these people must be drunk. And in the midst of that, Peter stood up and he preached the gospel and 3,000 people responded to the message of Jesus and were saved on that day of Pentecost. Passover to Pentecost, seven weeks. And so as we come to the foot of Mount Sinai, we should keep in mind that New Testament parallel, okay? I want you just to have in the back of your mind uh, Acts chapter 2 as we begin to consider some of these things. And so here's, here's Israel. They're camping at the foot of the mountain. Uh, and Moses begins to make his way up the mountain. I, I would assume that he's going to the place where he had originally uh, met with the Lord. And there the Lord spoke to him once again. So Moses is in this position, uh, continuing as a mediator, as a priest, as a prophet, 
as a messenger, or a communicator between the Lord and his people. And verse 3 continues. It says, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Interesting to me, it just struck me that the Lord calls the house of Israel by two names here. Did you notice that? He calls them Jacob and he calls them Israel. And, and that is important. We know that the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we're in 2 Corinthians this morning with Paul, says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, and the new has come. In Christ, we have been born again. We know that the old is gone and the new has come. But as we've been going through Exodus, we've seen that there is a battle that happens in our lives between the old man and the new man between the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit as we follow Jesus Christ. For Israel, the people of Israel, anytime you're reading in the Bible and you hear God refer to them as Jacob, he's talking about the old man, the old nature, the man of the flesh. When he calls them Israel, he's referring to the new identity that they have been given in the Lord as the chosen uh, people of God. And so, uh, you know, you might recall the story that when Jacob uh, met the Lord and wrestled with God, God touched him and God said, I'm changing your name to Israel. In other words, I'm giving you a new nature, a new, a new identity in me. And so the descendants of Jacob were called not Jacobites after the man of flesh. They're called Israelites, right? After the man who had met with God and been changed. And so they were called Israelites. But just like us, they lived this life with a struggle where they would, you know, be in this place of, will I serve the old identity or will I serve the new identity that I have in God? And as they camped before the mountain of the Lord, the Lord himself acknowledged that they were going through this. In this meeting with me, you have a choice. As you come to the mountain of God, you have a choice. You can meet with me on the basis of the old man, Jacob. Or you can meet with me on the basis of the new man, Israel. And you and I know that reality. We, we live that reality every day, whether we realize it or not. You know, I come to meet with God. Maybe it's here at church. Come to meet with God in prayer or in my quiet time or in worship or in anything. And the question is, is am I going to come before the Lord as the man of the flesh? Or am I going to come... Uh, with that mind of the flesh, or will I approach God on the basis of the identity that I have in Jesus Christ as a son of God? Am I going to come before him by the spirit, by the work of Christ, by faith and the promises of God? Let me ask you this. I was thinking about this for myself today. Which man came to worship the Lord today? Who came to, when you came here this morning, who came to worship God? The man of the flesh, is he here this morning? Did we come to worship the living God by faith, by the spirit, or will we try to approach him on the works of the flesh? See, whichever way we came, the dynamic and experience of our worship will be affected by how we approach God in that sense. Old nature or new nature. And the Lord said this to them. He said, House of Jacob, people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians 
and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I would say this. The Lord is saying to Israel, to ensure that the right man shows up here in this worship experience, because you're here to worship me, I need you to recall two things. And these same two things we can always recall. The Lord says, I want you to remember what I did to Egypt. And I want you to remember how I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. See, in other words, I want you to remember how I brought judgment against the world. How I brought judgment against the false gods of the Egyptian. And how I poured out my wrath and my plagues upon their rebellion. I judged it. But at the same time, I want you to recount my grace. I want you to remember how like a mother with its young, I I swept you up in my wings through the air and I brought you safely to myself. See, when we recount those things, when I recount those things, I would say this, that's how I'm prepared for the place of worship. See, remember Jesus said, what kind of worshipers is the Lord seeking? The Lord is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. What that tells us is this, is that there is a worship that is acceptable to God and there is a worship that is unacceptable to God. The acceptable worship is to worship in spirit and truth, to be like Israel, not like Jacob. To be a man or a woman of the spirit and not of the flesh. The Bible tells us that flesh cannot glory in the presence of God. And so in our worship, we don't come scheming with schemes and plans of the flesh like the old trickster Jacob. But we come and worship by spirit and truth on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when we remember the judgment God has brought against the old man, the nature of our sin, the man who was opposed to God because of, because of sin, and we recall how God judged that by the work of the cross through Jesus Christ. And then we begin to recount the grace of God, how, how he's worked in our lives, and we think about all the ways that he, he worked in us to bring us to himself. Then we begin to come to that place where we worship appropriately in spirit and truth. Remember Egypt. Remember the old life. Remember how I judged that and what I did with the cross. And remember how I brought you to myself. That prepares us for worship. And so Moses was told to remind the people this, but he was also told to share some other things with them. He said this, verse five. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So here they are, they're at Mount Sinai and God is going to bring his people into a new relationship with himself. They're going to enter into a covenant relationship together. We're going to be talking about this. They're going to spend weeks. I think there's 54 chapters from here on in in the Bible that deal with what happens here at this meeting. And we're just going to get a little glimpse into it this morning. But they're going to, you know, they've come so far 
And now it's in a sense, it's like, hey man, it's, it's time that the marriage covenant happens. That, that, you know, we enter into this agreement, this contract, just like a marriage, you know. They're going to almost exchange vows. God has this desire to enter into a, a contractual covenant relationship between him and his people. And in a sense, we read here, there are conditions. There are conditions. It was conditional in the sense that the Lord required that they keep the covenant. But there was also parts of it that I would say were unconditional in the sense that God has already blessed them. He's worked his grace in their lives. He's brought them to himself. And he said to them, the blessings of this covenant relationship are going to be this. You shall be my treasured possession among all the nations of the earth. In a sense, he's saying of all that belongs to me and everything belongs to me, you're going to be top shelf. The Bible tells us that the Lord keeps Israel actually as the apple of his eye. And so the Lord says, you will be a treasured possession to me. I'm going to keep you on the top shelf. He says, I, I, I also, I'm going to make you into a kingdom of priests, which is fascinating. That was, that was God's design and plan for an entire nation. But we know something else changed in the midst of that, that although there were 12 tribes of Israel, only one was taken and selected and that tribe made to be priests, the tribe of Levi. But that was never the intention of God. The intention of God was that all 12 tribes would be priests, would serve him as priests. You know, a priest has that role where they serve as an intermediary between God and man. Uh, before God, they represent man. Before man, they represent God. And, and you have this, a priest has this special place in, in the world of having this role. And the Lord says, as a people, as a nation, you're going to serve me as priests. You're going to be like a light unto the world, we read in other places in the scripture. And represent the nature of God in this dark world. But not only that, you're going to represent man before me. Now, the Bible tells us that there was an incident, incident in which the nation of Israel began to worship the false gods of the Moabites. The men began to uh, indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. And the tribe of Levi, when God began to pour out a plague upon the people of Israel, was the only one that acted righteously in the midst of that. And so uh, the Lord reduced those who would be priests from the 12 tribes to the one tribe, the tribe of Levi. Levi. But ultimately in the plan of God, all of Israel was to be a nation of priests. He also says this, you'll be a holy nation before me. A, 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 a people among all the peoples of the world that are set apart, consecrated unto the purposes of God. Now, now it's interesting that all these same things, these three things are given to the church through the work of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Uh, Paul said this, through the work of Christ, he longed that the church would understand that they are the treasured possession of God, top shelf for Jesus Christ. He said in Ephesians 1.18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood. 
that all of us serve God as both kings and priests. We have this role as being mediators upon the earth, salt and light, the lights of the world. Uh, Peter also said that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, that we may proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his glorious light. And so the church has this same role, but God, when we talk about Israel or the church, the ultimate purpose is this. God is seeking worshipers. That's why they were brought to Mount Sinai to worship. God was seeking for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Now the Lord says to them as he begins to, through Moses, he says this, I want you to go down to the people and you tell them to obey all that I command. Now, the first thing I think as I read that is obey. Obey what? And, you know, we, we got to remember that we read this from hindsight. You know, they're going to get the Ten Commandments. They're going to get all the laws, 613 commandments in, in, in total. But they don't have any of that yet. And so in my mind, you know, it's like before you sign the dotted line, you should read the fine print. You've probably been in that situation before. Obey, obey what God? And the Lord says, you know, essentially all of these things will be fulfilled if you obey the voice of God, if you obey the word of the Lord. But you know, it's, it's hard to obey that which you do not know. And they did not yet have the word of God or the commands. Uh, now, I want to back the truck up just for a second in this sense. God said to them, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. To be bore on eagle's wings means this. It speaks of grace. I want to explain this because I think it's an awesome picture. You know, they see the story of eagles and the story of Ruth and Boaz in the Bible and Isaiah chapter 40. There's many indications of this sense of an eagle in here, but to be born on eagle's wings means this. Eagles, when they are young, by nature, want to fly. They're a bird, right? It's in their DNA. Don't have to, you know, push them hard to want to fly. But um, the young eagle will, will do this. And you can read lots of stuff about this online. There's kind of lots of legend. It's hard to figure out what's actually true and not true as you read about this, especially when you read Bible commentators. <laughs> They all have a little different story, but I found out this that is, that is true and proven by science. And it's a conclusion that they've come to recently that, that as an eagle stands on the edge of the nest and is getting ready to launch out and fly a, a young eagle, you know, some will say that there's, they get pushed out or they get pricked out, or, you know, whatever it happens. But I think birds want to fly. That's what they're designed to do. They stretch out their wings. They take a leap from the nest and they begin to soar. And the mother eagle jumps out behind them, swoops underneath and they fly down. And this young eagle soars. And then as they get close to the ground, the mother catches them, swoops them back up and brings them to the nest. And they go through this process, I would say, of learning how to fly. Fascinating birds, lots of mystery, lots of unknown stuff in this. Don't know exactly how it works, but what they believe is happening is this, and, and only started to understand this 
in recent years. They always thought eagle was jumping out, mama was just there to catch. But what they've discovered is, is that when eagle leaves the nest and mama comes, she actually comes underneath and she sets the pattern and the baby learns to soar by imitating, mirroring what mama does. And then as they get close to the ground, she catches, brings them up, and they go through the process. Again, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And in a sense, absolutely, the Lord is saying this to Israel. I'm teaching you how to soar. I'm teaching you how to fly. You, you lived a life of slavery, and now as you follow me and mirror me, you're going to learn what it is to fly in life, to overcome in life. And when you mess up and when we get close to the ground, I'm going to be there and I'm going to catch you. I'm going to swoop you back up to the nest and then we're going to go through this process again. And you're going to learn to fly by mirroring me. See, that's grace. That right there is grace. The unmerited favor of God. And, you know, we could just recount the Exodus story so far from the crossing of the Red Sea. The bitter waters made sweet. Man, sometimes these guys got close to the ground and God in his grace caught them and brought them back. The rest in the oasis at Elim, the bread from heaven, the quail, the meat that came down from heaven. Oh, they complained about not water and the Lord swept them by his grace and he provided water for them in a rock, from a rock. They met the fleshly Amalekites and they were going to die and the Lord swept in and by the power of prayer, they were delivered from this army that they were facing. See, they were learning what it meant to be a people who followed God, to be the chosen people of God as they followed God in his grace and he led them like an eagle being led by its mother. And he was making them into worshipers, I would say. As he taught them to, to fly by his presence, by the cloud, he led them to Mount Sinai where they would worship him. So it's been grace all the way, the whole Exodus story. Eagle's wings. But now at the foot of the mountain, the Lord presents to them, I would say this, a choice. Shall we keep doing this grace thing or do you want to try something else? I'll tell you what, we'll enter into this covenant and you obey my word. Now, just in my thoughts as I was thinking about this story and meditating on it, I, I really think they should have said this, Lord, <laughs> we haven't been able to obey you up to this point. I mean, up to this point, you've told us to do stuff and like we drop the ball and we complain and we murmur against you and then you're good to us and by your blessing, you lead us back to the nest and and we start the process over again. And, and you're, you're so kind. So, you know, it would probably be foolish for us to say, we'll do everything that you command. Uh, we don't want to do that, God, because we recognize that in our flesh, we're weak. We're broken. That there's poverty in our spirits. But tragically, that's not what they said. Almost with a, with a bold confidence as grace was presented to them and law was presented to them and they were asked, will you obey the commandments without thinking or even knowing what the fine print said? They'll do it. We'll do it, they said. We will do it all. We will do what you said. And, and I think there's a, a, a good heart there, but there's, there's also a lack of self-awareness. They exchanged eagle's wings for commandments. 
and they don't even know what they are. They don't know the contrast between law and grace. They don't know that the law is going to demand of them, but the grace had bestowed on them. Uh, they don't know that grace says do, and that, I mean, sorry, that the law says do, and that grace says believe. They don't know that the law exacts from them and grace gives to them. They don't seem to recognize yet that the law says work and grace says rest. They don't realize that the law threatens by pronouncing a curse and that grace appeals, imploring and pronouncing a blessing. They don't seem to realize that the law says do and then you will live and grace says live and then you will do. They don't know yet that the law condemns the best man, but that grace saves the very worst of men. See, the law reveals the character of God. They're going to get to know God in a new way, in an important way, but it's going to expose their weakness further. And so verse 7 says, So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and he set before them all the words of the Lord. All the people answered together. Listen to this. They said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Man, should have read the fine print. <laughs> do what? I mean, listen to this, people. I, I would say this is overconfidence. I don't know about you, but I, I come to the word of God and I go, man, God, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I can live this life for you unless you empower me by your spirit. Lord, I, I don't want to rely on my strength. I need you. We, we understand that as followers of Christ. But you know, many people pack the same attitude. They think, oh, the natural man, you just give me the list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever. Check, 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 check. I will do. But the natural man cannot fully obey the law and he fails terrible, terribly as we all know when he attempts to do so. The, the law was sent to teach that very fact. And in verse 9 we read, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So of course, you know, these people have been led all the way through the wilderness by a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. This is a different cloud as he talks about the thickness, but they understand this. It's going to represent the presence of God in their midst. Verse 9 continues. He says, uh, When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. It's interesting. We're going to see this. I want you to watch for it. Poor Moses, man. You know, he's like 80, but this dude's in good shape because this is go up the mountain, Moses. Come down the mountain, Moses. Okay, you go up and you tell us, Moses, go down, okay? This guy's going to go up, down, up, down, up, down the mountain. And um, the Lord says, this is going to take a bit of a strange turn. I'm going to try and just wrestle through this briefly this morning. We don't have a lot of time, but it takes a bit of a strange turn because 
the, Moses is speaking with the Lord, it says, and yet the Lord says to him, the Lord is going to come down. Interesting. He's speaking to the Lord, and yet the Lord tells him, the Lord is going to come down on top of this mountain. So you need to go and tell the people to get ready. Three days from now, wash your clothes, consecrate yourselves. This is special. You need to anticipate this. You need to put things in order for this meeting. You know, changing the clothes, setting aside the dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes, just clean for the presence of God. Wash your stuff. Get ready. It's going to happen. Verse 12. And he says, and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care to go, not to go up the mountain or to touch the edge of it. I'm reminded of the woman right now as I speak. The woman who touched the hem of his garment and he was healed instantly of her diseases. Not this time. This is dangerous territory. Do not even touch the edge. Take care not to go up the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so there was some sort of barrier to be constructed and to be placed around the mountain, this, this point of separation. And at the right time, the Lord would come down and then he would say, you can come past the barrier and you can come to me. But it's interesting, you know, you just think about the, the barriers of the Old Testament that inhibited people from coming to the presence of the Lord. Fence here, you know, when the temple eventually went up, there was a fence to keep the Gentiles in one area, the women in another area, the men over in this area. Only the priests could go here. Only the high priest could go here. There was barriers in regards to access to God. Jesus changed that because of the work of the cross. All men, man, women, child, young, old can come. Uh, to the Father who is in heaven through Jesus Christ. So this warning, barriers, don't touch. If you break the rule, you die. You don't even touch the person who broke the rule. Do it from a distance. Kill them. This is serious business. I want you to get that sense. So Moses went down. Poor old Moses. I wonder how his knees were. From the mountain to the people, and he consecrated the people, and he washed their garments. And they washed their garments. That would have been a lot of laundry for him to do. They washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So this meeting was to be, you know, so important that even they were called to abstain from sexual relations. Not very often in the scripture that it says that. You know, for husbands and, and wives, it's not that, that, that sex is a dirty thing. It's God's design. We know that. It's not... That sex is gross, but I read this and I thought it's good. It's engrossing. It consumes you. And he says, you need to be consumed and focused on the meeting that's about to happen with God. So you abstain for these three days before you meet with the Lord. This demands your full attention. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. What a scene, man. Just get that in your mind's eye. You know, picture the mountain, whatever it is. It's wrapped in cloud. There's thunder. There is lightning. There is a trumpet blasting. And, 
And the people are freaked out. I mean, this that would freak you out. I mean, just imagine Elfie like that, just wrapped in trumpet sounding. And the people were shaking in their boots. You have to know that. They were trembling. They were quaking. Verse 17. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up from the smoke. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled Greatly. Mount Sinai is a mountain that is granite. It's not a volcano. It's not some flimsy piece of rock. And that mountain itself was trembling violently like an earthquake. Fire was on the mountain, uh, covered with fire. And the smoke, I just, in my mind, I picture this stream of smoke from a kiln just straight up right into the heavens. Straight up. The wind didn't move it. It didn't adjust. It just went straight up. So you just, this whole scene in your head, the cloud, the lightning, the thunder, the trumpet, the smoke, the fire, and the Lord descended in the midst of the fire. Note that. God descended in the midst of the fire. Now fire, all the way from Genesis through to Exodus, represents a barrier between heaven and earth. When the Lord shut the access off to the garden of Eden and the tree of eternal life, what did he put there? Fire with a flashing sword in the midst of it. There's a barrier of fire and the word of God to stop access to such things. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. When Moses in Exodus chapter three met the Lord in a burning bush, The bush was on fire, but not consumed. And it tells us that in the midst of the fire was the angel of the Lord. And he spoke to Moses. It's Jesus. How do we know it's Jesus? We know it's Jesus because Jesus is the only ladder, the only access point to the father. Between earth and heaven, there is a barrier. And in scripture, it's marked by fire. And there's only one person who allows access between the two. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus descended in the fire. Jesus told his disciples and the crowds this. He said, no one comes to the father but through me. When Jacob had his dream and he saw the the ladder and on the ladder, angels ascending and descending between heaven and earth, the ladder was Jesus Christ because angels come through Jesus Christ. They move about. And so Jesus is there. He's in, the, he's in the fire. There is a barrier. It's like this. In your mind, heaven has come down to Mount Sinai. Earth is here, fire, heaven. Hebrews chapter 8 tells us that Moses, you go home and read Hebrews chapter 8, that he went up and he saw heavenly things. He saw into heaven. That he got his pattern and his design for the tabernacle by what he saw as he went up and met with God. It's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Verse 19 says, The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Oh, man. Could you imagine the voice of God speaking in thunder so that we would all hear? The sound of the trumpet. You know, we're going to hear the sound of a trumpet one day. The Lord's going to say, come up here. However it sounds, come on up. Come on up. You know Jesus? 
come on up. You got access into heaven. And so this is a freaky scene, my friends. You have to know that. You have to understand that this is fear has gripped the hearts of the people. Verse 20. Now listen to this. The Lord already came down. Did we not read that the Lord already came down? Now read verse 20. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called to Moses, called Moses to the top of the mountain. And so Moses went up. And so we read again that the Lord descended to the top of the mountain. So what's going on here? Early church actually understood this. The, the early church phileo from whatever century he's early, early on. He said two Lords here in this story. Jesus is present and the father is present. Two Lords on Mount Sinai. The angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, has led the people through the desert to the mountain and he's brought them to meet with the Lord. The, the son has brought the people to meet with the father. Jesus has been leading the people through the desert, providing for their daily needs. And now he's led them to the place where the father will speak to them from heaven. Heaven and earth are meeting at Mount Sinai. Fire in the middle. Jesus, the access point. Awesome scene. Great scene. Moses actually said later on in his writings, man, no one on earth ever experienced what you guys experienced. He said, remember that? When God spoke to us out of the mouth, no people on earth have ever experienced what we did when God spoke by thunder to us. And yet at the same time, as awesome as it was, it was dreadfully scary. Verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, go down. There he goes again, poor guy. His knees are a little more wobbly. He's grabbed the staff of the Lord this time. No, I don't know what the scene is. Go down and warn the people lest they break through and look to, and break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. That's a weird scene. I mean, if you read that, you'd say, why doesn't the Lord say, Go down and tell them not to look at me or they will perish. That's not what was said. The Lord said, go down and tell them not to look at the Lord or they will perish. <laughs> There's two Lords here present, the Son and the Father. And although they would not see him, the Father would speak to them from heaven. You know, Jesus said, no one's ever seen the Father but me. Moses says, I think it's in Deuteronomy chapter four, that there was no form on the mountain, that when God came down, there was no form. It was a voice. He came down, but no form. Jesus was there. Jesus was the form that was seen. So no one sees the father and lives. And so Moses, you know, we read that he spoke face to face with the Lord. It was, and, and it's like he looked at the Lord and who he saw was Jesus and behind him was the father and the father spoke. Does that make sense? It's like he was speaking through Jesus. And it's interesting, you know, he's told, go, get down, man, get out of here, go down. You're going to see Moses start to argue and the Lord's going to tell him, go, go. And you know, I just think about that. It's like, man, distance, barriers. God is awesome. God is holy. God is perfect in his goodness. Me, not so much. Not righteous. Born in sin. Wicked in the desires and thoughts of my heart. 
And the Lord says, you, you better go. Don't cross the barrier. You know, I'm reminded of Jesus. You know what Jesus said in the New Testament? He didn't say go. He said, come. All you are weary and burdened and, and heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. But we haven't reached that part in the history of God's story yet. And it's still go at this point. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people. Lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. Lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, here he's getting lippy. The people can't come up to Mount Sinai. For you yourself warned us, saying, set limits uh, around the mountain and consecrate it. So Moses, like he's almost arguing with the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, go down. Look at verse 24. And the Lord said to him, go down and bring up, uh, and come up bringing Aaron with you. Do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest he break out against them. Just being repeated and repeated. So Moses went down and he told uh, down to the people, and he told them. We're going to get into this in the weeks to come. We're going to begin to hear what God begins to speak to his people as they're here at the, at, at the mountain. But as we uh, come to this story, just a couple thoughts as we wrap up. I'm going to invite the worship team to get ready to come up here. The children of Israel were led on eagles' wings. You, my friends, have been led on eagles' wings to the Lord. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord. God has been bringing you to himself. But there's a danger. And the danger is always this, that we'd exchange relationship for religion. That we'd exchange grace for law. That we'd, you know, exchange living and then doing because we love to doing rules and then living. The life of the spirit is this, on eagle's wings. On eagle's wings. And you know, here we are, we're waiting for the sound of the trumpet. What if it went today? My people come up, come up to me. You know, this story mirrors in the New Testament, the story of Pentecost. There was a coming down of God at Pentecost. Uh, The Holy Spirit came down. (laughs) And it was not to separate Uh, keep the people separate from God, but it was to empower them for service for God Uh, so that they would have power to proclaim uh, Jesus Christ. The the spirit was poured out and they were given power to live for God. And those, you know, know, early disciples and followers of Jesus, they they lived the life on eagle's wings. And I want to encourage you, live a life on eagle's wings. Don't reduce your relationship with Jesus down to a bunch of rules. You seek his face. You get to know him. You draw on his grace. This week, uh, we're going we're gonna to have FaceTime with Jesus. Uh, not through our apples and our Macs, but through the place of prayer. And spend time getting to know the Lord. He said, come to me, all you who are weary. And we'll get into this story some more next week. We're going to invite the worship team to come. As they do...